All right, well, we are in uh, the beginnings of a series through the book of Philippians, Paul's letter to the Philippians in the New Testament that's going to take us through most of the fall. But before we jump into our passage for this morning, let me ask you a question just to get the wheels spinning, all right? What is your assessment of the cultural moment that we are living in now, okay? Make that as broad as you want. Uh, I don't know if you think about this kind of stuff much. I love reading about and, and discussing these sorts of things. In some ways, we all have to think about it because we all live in it every day. Um, not to mention one of the premier venues in the world for these types of diagnostic cultural conversations happens right in our backyard with the Ideas Festival and the Institute. But what do you think? Are we in a good place as a society right now? Are we in a healthy place? Are you guys generally encouraged? Are you generally discouraged? Are you generally indifferent? And you're just kind of doing your thing and the trends are the trends and the movements are the movements and they are what they are and you don't tend to worry about it. Um, it's an honest question, it's not a setup because I think depending on how you look at it, you really could answer either way, right? Um, on the one hand, our quality of life today in the global West has steadily increased for centuries. I mean, we have better hospitals and roads and longer lives and more treatable diseases and less poverty, less violence, more access to food and social services than basically any other culture in the history of the world until now, okay? So, so in some ways, like we're doing pretty well, right? We're, we're on the right track. And especially here in the Roaring Fork Valley, things aren't all bad. Apparently, we all live until we're about 93 years old around here. That's the average for our county. Um, it's the second highest average in the entire nation. And plus, there's no, you know, marauding bands of outlaws with like anti-aircraft missiles on the back of a pickup truck driving around. Like we got a good gig, right? Like things are going pretty well. On the other hand, as we've pointed out before, our valley is in the highest 5% per capita nationally, of instances of suicide and addiction rates and divorce rates. We're in the lowest 5% of church attendance in the country. Um, so it seems like we're extremely healthy and extremely unhealthy all at the same time. I've got a bookshelf full of books that are trying to decode and analyze and diagnose this cultural moment that we live in, and they have titles like This Secular Age, status anxiety, uh, amusing ourselves to death, perfecting ourselves to death, the narcissistic epidemic, the new Jim Crow, alone together, the unwinding, the disappearing church, the rise of the nuns. All of these is highlighting some trend, some sort of cultural thing undercurrent that sits right underneath the surface of the mantra that our culture has been preaching for decades now of progress. It's naming some unhealth that's right underneath the surface. It's almost like our quality of life has steadily increased, but the quality of soul has been ignored in the process, right? It's like uh, our physical health rates are on the rise and our relational health rates are tanking at the same time. Or we have all the freedom in the world, but we're starving for meaning and purpose and a vision of a bigger, fuller life. So back to the question, what do you think? Are you excited about the cultural moment that we live in right now? Or are you depressed? Are you energized? Or are you a bit afraid of what the future holds? 
One more angle on this same question, and we'll jump into our passage. But um, what about you personally? Okay, so for, forget for a second the national surveys and the think pieces and the New York Times and, um, and the global trends. Leave aside for a second the seminars at the Idea Festival. What's your assessment of the culture, the spiritual culture of your own heart? Or what about that of your family? What about your life? Are you encouraged? Are you discouraged? Are you indifferent? Would you say that you're on the same wave as our wider world finding yourself busier, more hurried, more distracted, more anxious, while your life is filling up with seemingly good things? Or have you found a way to be still long enough to hear God's words to you, that, that you're loved, that you're saved, that you're whole, that you're my child? So is your life filled with deep meaning and purpose or just endless options? Um, well, here's the thing. No matter how you answer these questions, whether culturally or personally, we have good news this morning, okay? We have an announcement. There's good news this morning for you. The power of God's word at work in your life is not dependent on any of this. It's not dependent on catching the headlines of our ever-changing 24-hour news cycle, okay? It doesn't have to be the loudest voice in the room to be the most transformative voice in the room. Uh, God's presence with his people is not dependent on the national trends or the cultural movements. God's work in your life, hear this, is not even actually dependent on how you feel about God's work in your life, okay? His work in your life is present and active. He is on the move. In Paul's letter to the Philippian church, this small band of Christians trying to follow Jesus in a world that is at least as confusing and, and uncertain as ours, and whose hearts are at least as doubtful and full of unbelief as ours, Paul writes them a letter, and right at the beginning of it, he prays for them. It's a simple prayer, but it is a dynamic prayer. Okay, it's only three verses long. We're going to look at it in a minute. A prayer for exactly our moment and exactly our hearts. And I think it's a prayer exactly for our church and our valley and even our culture today. This is a prayer with a simple message. And the message is this. God is on the move. Okay, God is at work. God is extending his kingdom. He is bringing his peace and his health and his renewal to his people. Our God is a God committed to the spiritual renewal of his people. Regardless of the moment, regardless of the, our assessment of the moment, the word of the Lord is at work. Hear it. This is Paul in verse 9. Here is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. This is Paul's prayer for spiritual renewal for this church and ours. And when God's people pray for God's renewal, God renews his people. Okay, that's how the dynamic works. When God's people cry out to God to bring renewal and refreshment and rejoicing, God renews them. He refreshes them. 
This is always true, but it seems especially true when things seem bleak and confusing and desperate and uncertain. I mean, the Bible is littered with God's renewal stories, okay? Here's just a few highlights. When the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, after hundreds of years, things grew worse and worse, and God redeemed them through the most unlikely route, okay? Ten plagues, a non-compelling public speaker, and a walk through dry land across the Red Sea, okay? Like, who saw that coming? In their moment of desperation and despair, he brings, he breathes renewal, and that renewal becomes the paradigm for salvation for the rest of the Bible and for the rest of history. Later on, when Israel's kings had abandoned their spiritual posts and led their entire nations into idolatry, God allowed them to be captured by foreign nations. We looked at this through our series in Daniel not too long ago. They were captive in Babylon for a generation. They'd lost their land, their tribes, their families, their place of worship. But right into that darkness, right into that cultural moment of confusion and despair, God does the most amazing thing. He gathers a creative, faithful minority to follow him through this time, not just to survive, but actually to thrive and to bring life and renewal to the society around them that had captured them. Like, Who saw that coming, okay? Right in the midst of that, God brings renewal and hope. And that becomes a paradigm for all other followers of Jesus through history who are trying to follow Jesus while we're in exile away from home as well. At the end of the Old Testament, the last prophets had spoken, and there were 400 years of silence, and God's people were wondering where he went. Did he abandon us? Did he disappear? Did he go away? Okay, 400 years of asking these questions, and then, who saw this coming? The Savior of the world appears, um, not in a palace, not at the, on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, not in the corridors of power, but as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger in an obscure field because their parents couldn't find a hotel room to stay for the night. Who saw that coming? But that moment when God appears in this world is the moment of renewal that we are all looking to if we ever want hope or refreshment or life breathed back into our spirit again. His life, his death, his resurrection is the salvation for the world. And after Jesus departs from the world, a small band of uneducated, non-influential fishermen and tax collectors and terrorists walk out into the streets of Jerusalem without much of a plan except to share everything they know about Jesus that they've learned in three years. And that's the plan. Okay, we don't have a plan. Let's just talk about Jesus. That's the plan. They stand up in front of thousands of people and they begin to speak And people whose language they have never heard before can hear them talking about Jesus in their own language. Who saw that coming? And 3,000 people joined the church in a single day in Pentecost. That is the active presence of the Holy Spirit breathing renewal life into a city that then moved into a country that then moved, that then has expanded across the entire world and God's church continues to grow. We could do this all day, right? I mean, through the Bible, through history, God continues to renew and breathe spiritual life and hope into his people exactly when they don't know 
and don't understand and can't foresee what the future will bring. Right when it seems bleak or confusing culturally or maybe dark and disorienting personally, God is not absent. He has not gone silent. The Bible and, the history, and history both show us that's exactly when God is preparing another wave of his spirit to come crashing in to revive and bring vibrancy to his church. It's sort of like a beach where the sand is dry and the tide is far off and it's far away and the water seems like it's it's disappearing. It seems like it's pulling away. It seems like it's becoming more and more absent, but it's not actually absent, right? That whole time the tide's going out, it's gathering, it's churning underwater. It's actually gathering power. It's gathering steam for a new wave to come crashing back in to that dry land that seemed so barren. So what if our job isn't actually to sort through the complexity and the chaos of our secular age, this cultural moment that we're in, this post-Christian time? What, what if our calling isn't to try to predict the future or read the spiritual tea leaves of the time, but simply to call out to God, along with Paul in this prayer, along with saints throughout history, and just pray, God, do it again, right? Show up again with your Holy Spirit in, in power. Revive us again. Renew us again. Might God have us in this place at this time to contend for and to pray for and to eagerly anticipate his renewing presence to come flooding back in to our hearts and to our church and even to our valley, right? I mean, the psalmist in 85 cries out, revive us again, Lord. Okay, that's the call of that psalm. What if our call, what if our prayer was refresh us again? redeem us again, Um, reclaim us, revitalize us, repair us again, rebuild us, restore us again to the joy of your salvation. What would it look like if God renewed your spirit? What would that look like? If you felt a fresh wind, a fresh breath of the presence of his Holy Spirit in your heart, what would that feel like? What what would the changes be in your life if he renewed you? If he renewed this church? What would it look like if he used this church to begin to renew and breathe spiritual hope and life and vibrancy into our valley? Paul shows us the way in this prayer. Verse 9, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. The first thing Paul prays for in the spiritual renewal of maybe his favorite church is more and more love, all right? That that love may abound, that these people and these relationships and their worship and their service would overflow with a God-centered, others-first care and concern and compassion. He asked that their hearts would grow big for the burdens of other people, that their eyes would grow sharp for opportunities to encourage and support and invest in the lives of their congregation. But notice, too, this isn't simply a prayer for more love in general, okay? That the, the love, but it's actually a prayer for love directed and channeled by what he calls knowledge and all discernment. So the spiritual renewal that Paul prays for in this church, it's not just a quest for like 
good vibes and happy thoughts with everybody that we know. Okay, I mean, that's fine. Like, good vibes and happy thoughts, that's good. I hope you have those for other people, but this is a little bit more of a specific prayer that Paul has in mind. This renewal love, it's love that's informed by the gospel, shaped by the gospel. It's love with a purpose and an eternal trajectory. This is the kind of love that grows as we guide one another into more knowledge of God. This is the kind of love that grows with deeper theology about God, more rooted, more mature, biblical discernment and understanding about how God calls us to live in his world. This love, it's not merely feeling that we're good with everybody but that, and, and that we're currently happy with each other. It's, it's that plus a commitment to another person's spiritual good, right? This is saying, I am for you growing in Christ. I am with you in your journey through this world following Jesus. It's, it's investing in another person's spiritual life, bearing the cost with another person on their spiritual journey. And that's not normal love, okay? That doesn't just like happen by accident. In fact, we can't even make that love kind of grow in our own heart. This is the kind of love that shows up when God's on the move, when he's bringing renewal to our hearts and our community. This is a supernatural move of the Spirit, Christ's renewing presence within us. The next thing Paul prays for is a longing for excellent things. Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And I actually think it's this part of the prayer that confronts and challenges our lives today, maybe more than anything else, and therefore has the potential to renew our lives and refresh our lives, maybe more than anything else, because here's the thing, we love excellence, don't we? We love excellent food, we love excellent drink, I love excellent bicycles and skis, we love living among excellent mountains and driving excellent cars and living in excellent homes and having our children achieve excellent things at school and in sports, we love excellence at work, we love excellence at home, and of course there's nothing wrong with the ambition for excellence in any area of our life. All of that's fine. It's just not what Paul's praying for here, okay? It's just, uh, it's just something different. When Paul calls on the Lord for spiritual renewal in his church at Philippi, he doesn't call out for excellence in finances and fundraising for the church, okay? He, he didn't say, that's what's really gonna drive the movement of my spirit is the right Excel spreadsheet. Okay, he doesn't say it's um, he doesn't look for excellence in communication or aesthetics or organizational skills. Again, all that stuff's fine. These but these are not primarily the signs of God's renewal work in their midst. They might be there, but they're not the top spot. Paul is praying that you can have excellence and success in all kinds of outward metrics, but still miss out on the renewal work of his spirit and what he's doing in the world. And doesn't that almost exactly diagnose our cultural moment, right? Doesn't that almost exactly nail what we were describing earlier? One author I read this week put it like this, the hardware of the West, our roads, our hospitals, our safety initiatives, our institutions, it's good hardware. 
It's excellent hardware, okay? We live in a pretty excellent time, which creates the possibility of living lives of flourishing. We're like top-of-the-line computers. The problem is we're running infected software, okay? That we have a vision of our lives, of our freedom and our happiness that undermines the benefit of all those excellent things that surround us. And Paul is praying to God for his beloved church Don't just be excellent on the outside, okay? Be excellent on the inside. Call on God to renew you so that the sorts of things that percolate up out of your life, out of your heart, are excellent things, are God-honoring things, excellent in our spirit. Let the presence of Christ at the center of your life make your status before God pure and blameless. And as he works, might the fruit of righteousness blossom inside you and be a gift to those around you, to to make your relationships grow strong um, and and life-giving, your integrity commendable, your generosity overflowing. Uh, Author, professor of mine, D.A. Carson, put it like this, Paul's prayer spells the death of entrenched mediocrity and smug self-satisfaction and contentment with our own spiritual excuses. Paul's prayer is for excellence in your spirit. And again, like the kind of love that we were talking about a second ago, this is not something we can just create. None of us wake up on Monday morning and say, yeah, today my heart is going to be excellent, pure, blameless, overflowing with the fruit of righteousness. This is, this is a supernatural movement of the Holy Spirit that is renewing us and refreshing us by God's grace. And the last thing Paul prays is that all he does, all God does in our our lives, in our church, in our valley around the world would be to the praise and the glory of God. Paul's prayer is fundamentally God-centered, God-honoring, and God-glorifying. This is a prayer that Christ would be at the very center of all we are and all we do. Here's D.A. Carson again. Paul is praying for nothing less than revival in this prayer, okay? He's praying that Christians might be right now what we ought to be, what we certainly one day will be. When, When true revival dawns, resentments are dissolved. When revival comes, self-promotion is seen to be ugly, and it withers away. When um, revival comes, men and women are concerned to be holy. They're serious about integrity. They embrace genuine self-denial and learn love. When revival comes, our worrying sense of unreality disappears, and heaven seems more real and certainly more important than this transient world. When revival comes, worship is no longer an exercise one of the chief, but becomes one of the chief characteristics of our life. And out of this fresh experience of the grace of God, powerfully working in our lives, he says evangelism becomes not only a passion, but immeasurably more fruitful. The Western church needs nothing more urgently than groups of believers, unknown, unsought, privately, faithfully, without promotion, without fanfare, coming together to seek God's face, praying urgently for what is best, what is excellent, as we contemplate the day of Jesus. Praying, in short, for revival. For God's so- God is sovereign and full of compassion, he says. Who knows what he might do? 
right? Who knows what God might do if just a few of us started to pray that his spirit would arrive and begin to spiritually renew us and this place and this valley. I don't know what that might look like for you or for me, but I know it starts here, right? It starts in prayer, in the need and the conviction that we can't do anything without Christ doing everything. And so here's the thing. Here's the invite. If this at all interests you, if you're at all, if your imagination is at all sparked by this idea of God's renewal, if you're at all saying, yes, God, do it again. You've done it in history. Do it again here. Then join us. Like, join us for renewal prayer. Me and some others, we meet on Mondays, noon to one. We sit down, we have lunch or not, and we just pray for this. We pray that God's spirit would move And if that time doesn't work for you, you tell me when the time does work for you, and I'll meet you for renewal prayer anytime you want. I have dreams. You guys know me enough. I have plans, okay? I've got plans for this place. I've got dreams for our church, renewal hopes, and I hope you do too. But none of that matters without this, without renewal prayer at the foundation of it all. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. But it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are the plans in Luke's head, but it is the purposes of the Lord that will stand. But here's the beautiful thing. Through the promises of God's word, through the way we've seen him move through history, we know what his purposes are already, regardless of of our plans. We know that his purposes are to show up in the dry, needy, hurting places of this world, the sinful places, the unjust places, and to bring renewal, to bring life, to breathe his spirit and his presence exactly where it's needed most. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Okay? Isaiah 40, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Our God is in the renewal business. This is what he does. And he's on the move. And he's at work. So let's appeal to him together. Cry out to him together. Do it again, Lord. First in here, and then in here. And then let's see what he chooses to do as that spills out into our valley as we extend the hope and the love and the grace of his gospel. Would you pray with me? Paul's prayer this morning is our prayer as well, God. We pray that our love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that we may approve of what is excellent in your kingdom, that we might be pure and blameless for the day of Christ when he arrives again in power and beauty. Fill us with the fruit of your righteousness that comes only through Jesus Christ, our Savior and our friend and our brother and our King. And as you do all this work in us and among us, as you pour out your grace in our lives and our families and our neighborhoods, as you renew our spirit, renew our church, renew our valley, we pray that all your work is to the glory and the praise of God, that is your name that's great and not ours, that is your fame it's proclaimed. God, renew us again. Revive us again. We ask these things in your name. Amen.